This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I can see it as a tall, skinny man in all black with a hood on who stands there motionless, staring at me. Well, we decide to peel off and continue down the road, figuring it would lead us out of there. Boy, where are we wrong? Only to be awoken, I'm not sure when, to somebody standing in my doorway. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales and a listener experience that will chill you to the bone. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Friendly Report 9115, featuring voice work by Rhiannon Mauschel. And it's what you see out your window that will terrify you. This happened a bit over a year ago when I was 17 flatting with some friends. One night we were all drinking and smoking weed in our flat doing what normal teens do. When I decided it was time to go to bed, I collapsed on my bed at about 10 p.m. forgetting to close the curtains. Hours later, I woke up facing my window since my bed is alongside my window. Our fence is only about a couple of meters from my window, and next to our house, we have an electronic store with a little shed attached to it that is almost right against the fence. Anyways, as I'm lying there, I notice something black on top of the shed. Since I'm still half asleep, I assume it's a cat, but as my eyes adjust and I take a longer look, I realize it's too big to be a cat. Suddenly it moves, and I realize it's a person sitting against the wall. I don't think much of it, thinking they were probably having a smoke or something, so I get up and walk out of my room to get a drink of water. Two of my flatmates are still up watching a movie. I tell them that someone is sitting out on the shed, 
They say that I must be imagining it and I should go back to bed. I get my drink, check the time. It's 3 a.m. I must be imagining it. Why would someone be out there at this time? I walk back down the hall to my bedroom, sure that I had imagined it. But as I walk into the doorway, I get the shock of my life. The person has stood up and is now standing on my fence directly in the middle of my window, only a few meters from me. I can see it as a tall, skinny man in all black with a hood on who stands there motionless, staring at me. I stare back, frozen for a second, before finding my feet and running into my flatmate's room, which is next to mine. Her window and curtain are both open, but I can't see the man from her window. I wake her up and tell her what happened. It takes her a while to wake up enough to understand what I'm saying. Finally, she gets what I'm saying, and I ask her to come with me back into my room. She agrees, and we both slowly peep around my doorway to see the man still standing there in the same spot. Well, we both freak out and run into the lounge to tell our other flatmates. They finally believe us, and we follow each other into the room. At first, we can't see anything. The man is gone. But then I see him. He has walked down the fence and is now standing outside the lounge window. We all stand there staring at him for what seems like an eternity. He doesn't move at all. Finally, one of my flatmates walks over to close the curtain. The second he does, we all hear the man jump down. So we all run outside, but it's too late. He's gone. The next night, I climbed up onto the shed to see just how much of my room could be seen. And to my horror, you could see everything in my room clear as day. It still gives me the creeps just thinking about how long he was up there and could see me sleeping. We did report it to the cops, but we never heard anything back. And I've never seen the man again. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up, we hear from Reddit user Wack Miller, featuring voice work by Matt Bradford. And we learn that legends can sometimes come true. Before my best friend and I were separated, um, one passed away, the other moved away. We used to ride around doing all of the haunted legend places within reasonable driving distance. Sometimes we'd drive for a few hours, but most of them weren't scary other than the adrenaline-filled, hyped-up, did-you-hear-that-see-that that that would cause us to get spooked. This one was different. Very different. We were just out of high school, probably 20 at most, and we were looking for an actually scary place to visit. A lot of the people we knew knew we were into these kind of things, so we'd always get tips on where to go. There was the original three of us that day, and another friend that wanted to tag along. After a drive to our destination, which is about 45 minutes, we stopped at a Wawa to get gas and grab a few snacks. Now, Like I said earlier, we were all about 20 at the time, so we were all hyped up because we knew spooky time was getting close. We'd always pick on the other friend that tagged along. Nothing harsh, just, ah, you're scared. 
so I believe it was me that said something along those lines that was overheard by a few people. I got the attention of a few people in the Wawa, including these two creepy older guys who seemed like they didn't fit in. Their clothes were all beat up and dirty, and they just didn't seem right for the area and the time it was, probably 8pm on a Saturday night. What's the little one scared of? asked one of the guys. I say little because the three of us are all abnormally tall. Now, the shortest between us there was six foot four, and he was normal height, probably around five foot nine. We replied and explained how he got tipped to go to this road because it's haunted. They replied that it wasn't that scary, and if we wanted a real scare, that we should go to this random road. I forget what it was called exactly, but apparently there's this random memorial statue for a plane crash in the middle of the woods that crazy things are supposed to happen at. We grabbed our stuff and didn't think anything of it. And as soon as we left, the group started talking and decided to go to the other road that these guys hyped up. I know, a typical horror movie, what not to do. So we get to the entrance of the road, and it already did not disappoint. Woods on both sides, not one damn streetlight in sight. And I remember there was like a detention center off to the right, in the middle of nowhere. So the spooks already began and the second we hit the entrance. We decided to drive down the road and search for the statue. We noticed that there were trees cut down on the side of the road and laying parallel to the shoulder of the road. We finally find the statue. About five minutes go by of silence, and we decide to enhance the scare factor by shutting the lights off. About a minute goes by, and we see a shadowy figure pop out from the statue. We all freak out as it starts walking towards us. It was making movements that no human would be normally capable of. It was dark out. This thing was black. It was darker than the woodsy sky, so we could make out some of it. This thing was huge. Like I said earlier, we were all extremely large compared to the average guy, but this thing would have dwarfed any of us. We decided to peel off and continue down the road, figuring it would lead us out of there. Boy, were we wrong. About three minutes go by, and we hit a dead end, which in this case was an open spot in the woods with sand everywhere. There were different cutouts and ways to go from there, and I'm pretty sure the road continued after this cutout, but we were pretty deep in the woods at this point. So we decide to turn around and obviously leave. After we turn around, we stop to take in the eerie feeling. The other three guys were talking about the shadow we saw earlier while I happened to catch something out of the corner of my eye. About 40 feet away from me, I see what appears to be a white face, and then another, and another, all surrounding the car. The other guys didn't see them, and I rarely ever get scared, but seeing my panic, they knew something was up. My panic caused them to panic, all panicking now. We then floored far away from the sand turnaround, We get about a half a mile down the road, somewhat near the statue, and pull over to gather our composure to get out of there. When we stopped, I I swear I heard the typical ghost noise. This was now turning into a movie I wish I was never a part of. So we're really scared now. After finding the way we came in, we started heading back out. Remember those trees I talked about earlier? They were now lying in the middle of the road blocking us in. All we see are the white faces, masks, that I saw earlier. Thank God my friend, the driver, was good at driving and valued safety over his car. 
We drove on the edge of the woods in what felt like we were defying gravity to speed our way out. The car was literally sideways, on the edge of the woods. I mean, I could literally stick a single finger out the window and touch the trees. Well, we all made it home safely that night. After doing research, we found out that the spot was notorious in that area for crazy things happening, such as body dumps and murders. Because of the shadow and the ghost noise we heard, my head, heart, and gut tell me that that place is actually haunted. As previously stated, that place is famous for dumping bodies, along with a plane crash a hundred years ago. So there's bound to be some spirits there. I think where we were that night was actually haunted. We just happened to be there on a night where there was more things going on. I mean, I can't say for certain, but I'm 99% sure we survived one of their setups that night. But what I'm 100% sure about is that I will never go back again. Chills just talking about this. And I never tell this story. There are four of us there. One took our story to the grave. And I'm sure the rest of us won't speak much about it either. Whenever we bring it up in front of people, we always use the code THMTW so that we don't actually have to talk about it. Now, THMTW, of course, stands for the horror movie that wasn't. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Scarlet River, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin, and we experience the neighbor from hell. 
A few years ago, I was working as a healthcare assistant at the hospital, and recently having moved out of my dad's home, I had started renting a small detached home in the countryside. I had one neighbor on this street, a man in his late 30s, who I will call Jake. He was single and lived alone. My first encounter with Jake was when I was moving in. My dad couldn't accompany me on my first day of moving in due to his work schedule, so I was unpacking by myself. Jake walked up to me, introduced himself, and offered to help with moving my heavy items. I'm a very small woman, so I appreciated the help. My first impressions were that he was very kind, open, and polite. He chatted to me about his job, told me he liked to play instruments and write in his spare time. We bonded over both loving the band Tool and we both enjoyed playing the bass. The next day, I brought him some beer as a thank you. He wasn't in, however, so I left it by his front door and included a thank you note for all the previous help the day prior. Over the next few weeks as I settled in, Jake would pop by. We'd chat about music, discuss shared hobbies, drink beer, and occasionally even watch movies together. I was new to the area and didn't have many friends yet, so he helped provide some social interaction outside of my job. But as you can already tell, things didn't stay so good. I got home one evening to see a basket full of flowers on my doorstep and an included card which read that this was from Jake and he wanted to speak with me when I had the time. I walked inside with the basket. I didn't even get a chance to put it down before I heard knocking at my door. It was around 11 p.m. and I wasn't expecting anyone. I looked through the window next to the door to see Jake waving at me. I opened the door and that's the first time I can recall where I started to feel uneasy around him. He asked if I saw the basket and if I liked it. He asked to come in, but I said something along the lines of how tired I am after work and that we should speak tomorrow. He didn't say anything for a few seconds before he asked if I would want to grab a coffee with him before work tomorrow. I said sure and closed the door. That next morning, we grabbed a coffee at a Costa that was close to the hospital I worked at. He seemed very excited and giddy. Soon after, he asked me to be his girlfriend. I had to decline, as we had only known each other for a few weeks, and, well, he was significantly older than me. He suddenly dropped his cheery demeanor, as if he had become someone else in the matter of seconds. He grabbed his things and left, saying only that he has to go to work. I went to work too and tried not to think too much on it. I had to work overtime that night and started heading home at around midnight. When I pulled up to my home, I saw Jake sitting on my doorstep. I really, really didn't want to get out of my car, but I did and walked up to him. He started off politely, asking if I had thought over his proposal. I said no, that I'm sorry, but I'm not interested. Once again, as if a switch had flipped, he went off on me, calling me spoilt and ungrateful. I was scared at that point and asked him to leave. He wouldn't. I managed to get to my car with him following me and showed him through the window that I'm calling the police. He swore at me and left. I didn't call the police that night. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, thinking he was just frustrated. One of my biggest regrets is not calling them. The next morning, I found wildflowers that looked like they were picked from a garden at my front door. 
as well as a post-it with the words sorry and a sad face drawn on it. At work that day, I was called by the nurse in charge, who took me aside saying my boyfriend was here to see me. As it's urgent, she also told me to tell my boyfriend that he should not come to see me at work again, especially since I wasn't on break, as it's unprofessional. It was Jake. He wanted to ask me if I had gotten his flowers and message. I went off on him, saying things along the lines of how dare he come to my work, get me in trouble no less, pose as my boyfriend. All this took place in the canteen. He didn't say anything, didn't apologize. I told him to knock it off and I left. Things only got worse from there. He would often wait for me when I got home, try to bribe me with gifts, more flowers. He even went as far as to get me a new guitar. I accepted nothing and always left everything where he put them. I eventually broke down to my dad, who asked if I wanted him to speak to Jake. I said no. He offered for me to move back with him, but I had too much pride and declined. My dad was really worried about me. One day, everything came to a halt when I came home to find my front door ajar, though not broken. My front room looked absolutely ransacked. I ran to my car and called the police. Nothing was missing, absolutely nothing. But my front room, kitchen, and bedroom were all rummaged through. I told the police I had an inkling it was Jake, who they ended up questioning. But his friend vouched for him and said they were together that evening. So it couldn't have been Jake. I still don't believe that. I tried to tell the police everything that has been happening with Jake and how I was starting to feel very unsafe. However, I had no proof but the notes he had left me, which weren't threatening. So since there was no threat to life or well-being, they literally could not do anything. My dad helped me clean everything up, and I had my locks changed. Jake actually left me alone for a little while after that. I started looking for new places to live around that time. Then one evening, I had come home, ate some food, showered and went to bed, only to be awoken, I'm not sure when, to somebody standing in my doorway. I didn't move. I remember originally thinking I was having a sleep paralysis episode, but after moving my fingers, I realized I was fully awake, with a dark figure clearly standing in my doorway. My phone was under my pillow, so I rolled over to my side, pretending to still be asleep, and I just waited with my hand under my pillow on my phone. There was no way I could call the police without alerting the person in my doorway. Eventually, I could hear the footsteps fade, and I called the police, only telling them my address and that someone just broke into my home, and I think that they're still here. I got out of bed, grabbed the keys on my nightstand, and got out of the house by going out of the window and bolting it to my car. I had on a tank top and shorts, I didn't even have shoes on, which made driving horrible. I saw him then when I was pulling out, standing in the kitchen, through the window. It was Jake. I had a small essential oil diffuser next to the window that shined enough light to be able to tell who the figure was. I drove as I spoke to the police. I remember just completely detaching from reality. At least that's what it felt like. I drove to my dad's house. After looking over my house, the police drove to my dad's home where I was. I told them everything about Jake, how he's been following me, coming to my work, waiting for me when I got home, 
And now I was 100% sure he broke into my home and was planning to do God knows what. I was told that they found my front door locked when they got there and went to knock on Jake's door. He answered and looked as if he had just woken up. They asked him some questions and left him alone. It is so unimaginably hard to prove that you're being stalked in the UK. I managed to get a restraining order on the grounds of harassment with proof that he had come to my workplace posing as my boyfriend and a co-worker who could support me in this as she had overheard our conversation where I had asked him to stop following me. I had also saved some texts he sent me where I asked how he got my number and told him to stop contacting me. But he went on to send some vaguely threatening messages along the lines of, I'll be waiting when you come home today, which along with the workplace incident, as well as the fact that I had mentioned Jake to the police when my house was broken into, managed to get me my restraining order. I went back to that house once with my dad and his friend to gather out all my things. I did not see Jake that time, or ever again for that matter. I had to transfer workplaces back to my original workplace as I moved back in with my dad. I'm now moved away and live alone again, trying to put the past behind me. But this type of thing definitely messed a little with me. I had to get some therapy and found it difficult to develop friendships, especially romantic relationships. He somewhat ruined that for me. I've not made any new friends since. Never had a boyfriend either. I find it very hard to trust people outside of work colleagues and family. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. And to close out the show, I've got a listener experience. Ben, let's hear what you've got. Okay, so here's the preface. Uh, When I was nine months old, uh, my dad died and he drowned in a river and he was trying to loose a canoe and got his leg caught in the undertow and got pulled down. And he died and they found him a few days later, a few miles down the river. It was pretty traumatic. Shaped a lot of my life, (laughs) to be honest, but it was traumatic for my mom and for everybody because it was so unexpected and they were both young. I was their first child. It was, a, you know, it's kind of a storybook relationship between the two of them. And everything was just getting started. But lo and behold, this tragic incident happens. And now my mom was set raising me as an only child. Now life went on, of course, and she ended up remarrying and all of that. It was a pretty traumatic event at the time. So that's the preface. The incident of this story actually happened about 22 years later, I want to say. I think I was 21 or 22. I'm 41 now. But I went camping with my girlfriend and my uh, best friend and his girlfriend. And it was just an awesome summer weekend. We got out there a little early that day to go like check out spots where we could go hike around once we got set up. And where we were camping is actually a pretty remote part of the Taylor River in Washington. Um, it's down, it's, there's official park uh, camping spots, but there's just as many hidden trails that you can hike back and find awesome spots that you kind of set up as your own. And so that's what we did. And we found an awesome spot way back in the woods. There's really only one road that you could come in to get there. So it was, felt really safe and secure. And we could always tell when somebody was coming up to the campground where we were at. 
And then the best part of it was that it had a couple of really awesome hikes. And one of them led to the top of this like cliff lookout that looked over the river down below that had an awesome kind of swimming hole down below. So if you jumped off of the rock cliff, you could jump in about 30 feet down below into a nice pool of water. It was awesome. But at night, we actually went out to go sit out there and have a couple of cigarettes and just look at the water and just chit chat. And so me and my bro hiked up and went and did that. And it's just the two of us sitting at the top of this cliff face and looking over the water. And it was just absolutely beautiful. The sun had mostly set, but you could still see everything. You know how it is in summer when it's like maybe nine o'clock, maybe 9.30, where it's still, the sun is setting, but you can still see a lot. We didn't have flashlights or anything like that. We weren't intending to be out late, dark up there. So anyways, we're sitting there talking and I'm looking across the water. So, you know, it's 30 feet down into the water and then probably another 100 feet if you were to fall in the water to swim across to get to the other side, uh, the other embankment on the other side of the river, which was pretty wide open. And then maybe like 50 feet or 60 feet or so wide open beach space there with rocks and stuff. And then immediately behind that's the forest. So yeah, there was this clearing out on the other side and I'm sitting there, my feet dangling over the edge of the cliff. We're talking about, I can't even remember just BSing. And all of a sudden I noticed there's somebody standing there across the river and this person is, is staring at me and it's a full grown adult. I know that I can see that I can see that it's a man. I couldn't really make out exactly what, what they look like, but I don't know, something in me immediately knew it like looked like my dad because they were wearing this flannel that he always used to wear in the pictures and his boots and his jeans that were torn up. He was a logger, carpenter, you know, so he always just looked rough and it looked cool. And it was, I, he had a distinct look and, and it started to look like him, the silhouette. And I leaned in and I asked my friend Scotty, I said, but what do you see that? And he leans forward and he's like, see what? And he squints and, and I'm looking directly at this person staring at me. And all of a sudden a spotlight comes on this person. And it's not like a small one. It was like a, the st an entire play stage had lit up. If you were to go see a theater and like the whole stage all of a sudden lights up, but he was center focused. As soon as that light came on, he immediately broke his stare that he was staring at me and turned around and walked maybe three feet behind him, reached behind the, the roots. You know how the roots can come up? where a tree is like a touching to the ground, the roots were coming up above the ground. He reached behind the roots. So like there was something there already and he grabs something. And as he throws it around his shoulder, I realize it's a big thick rope. And so he throws one end What he like leans down, he kind of squats down and, and he has, and he's right handed. So he has the right rope on his right hand. He throws it way up high and it goes up over the highest, like next branch that was out on top of the tree, which was way higher than anyone could actually throw. So right then I'm just thinking, what the hell is going on? Because none of this seems real, but it's totally real and I'm seeing it. And Scotty, my buddy, he's not seeing any of it. He's, he thinks I'm losing my mind. So <laughs> I'm like sitting there watching this going, what is going on? And then I realized this big rope that he just threw around one end of this and as he's scaling it back down the other side and tying it together i see what he's actually doing he's making a noose and he's putting the noose around his neck slowly and like methodically not like creepy slow but just i'm here to do something i'm doing it now that kind of like intent well he puts it on his neck 
and then all of a sudden pulls the cord down the other side of the rope, pulls it down to the ground, and it lifts him up in the air about four or five feet. And he just slowly spins there and dangles, not looking at me. It wasn't like he was like trying to look me in the face when he did it. But as he started, his body started to turn left to right. He was just, he just died. He just hung himself right in front of me. And I watched the whole thing from beginning to end. And it, like, there's nothing I could have said or done. Like, there's, it made no sense to me throughout the whole thing. And still to this day, it doesn't make any sense. He hung himself right then and there. And then the whole lights went out. And it went back to just the typical beach scene that we were seeing across the embankment with nothing there. Nobody was there. There was no ropes. There was nobody else. I was seeing everything else just as normally as I had before. So it was just totally shocking to me. I freaked out, obviously, and took off. You know, we went back to the camp, and I had to take some time alone for a while. It was pretty traumatic, and I, then I just kind of pushed it behind me and moved on and figured, I'll figure it out at some point in life, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't really thinking about it. But I should know that I have contacted the coroner's office, and I have contacted my family, and they all point to the same thing, that my dad did drown. So, and I've shared this story, and people say, oh, it's your dad, maybe you're not getting the whole story about his death, but at this point, I feel confident that I've got the full story. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what was showing me that, but I absolutely saw it. It wasn't a hallucination from a drug or anything like that. It was straight up real, straight up in my face. It was my dad. He did hang himself, even though he had died. 22 years earlier. Totally crazy. Thank you for your story, Ben. Very interesting. You know, I was almost thinking you may have experienced something of a loop, an event that took place in the past and is now imprinted and stuck replaying. But then you mentioned that it looked like it was your dad and the fact that your friend couldn't see it. So you've got me there. Thanks again for your call. And I'm looking to get more of these listener experiences in for the month of October. So this is your call to action. I want you guys to call in with any of your scary or unexplained experiences, whether paranormal or a sighting you couldn't explain, or any other type of encounter that terrified you. Call in and it may get featured on the podcast in the month of October. That number is 701-354-3667. And if you go over three minutes, you'll just need to call back. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. If you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters, Tara Dawn Rice, Casey Henderson, Josh Renner, Lacey Heinert, and Mystic Studios. Thanks everyone so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.